acquired the most amazing piece of property that one could imagine. It could not be more beautiful and it could not be better situated. God protected us, actually, from our short-sightedness and stupidity. Even though in the moment it felt like a great trial. Actually, if we could have seen with eyes of perfect faith, we would have seen it as a tremendous blessing. We do not always, do we, see the wisdom of God and the circumstances He creates in our lives, whereby He calls us to live by faith and not by sight. But for those of you who have known the Lord for any period of time, and have allowed God's Word to be built into your life, you know He has always been faithful. And at some point, you look back and you see the manifold wisdom of God. I am so very grateful for how your faith has not failed and for how you have laid hold upon the Lord in the midst of all this. You know, it's a great encouragement to quote Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good. But when you go through something like you've gone through and are going through, it tests one's faith. It refines one's faith. And yet you'll bring glory to God and your heart responds to Him. I also have this sense, and I didn't know Keith was going to refer to 2 Corinthians 1, the comfort that you've experienced. I bet in the days to come, you're going to be a church that's going to be able to comfort other churches. And you're going to be able to comfort other individuals. And you're going to be going to places and to communicate what you learn and the wisdom that you acquired and the faith that God built into you and your experience of grace that is going to strengthen others in a way that you could never relate to them or communicate to them or impart to them. And so actually, and I trust you understand this in context, what you are going through is a wonderful thing. You are learning profound lessons right now that, quite honestly, we would never learn apart from these present circumstances. Uh, words will fail me too, because there are so many folks I could commend. Time doesn't allow. I'm just going to focus on one, and that is Keith. I don't know where to begin. I simply don't know where to begin or how to express the heart of the chief shepherd for this under-shepherd of yours. As I've sought to read the email letters, the epistles he's written to you. Uh, we're not going to be adding them to the Bible, but they're epistles to you. I just think, what wisdom, what insight, what heart, what concern, what compassion, what encouragement... I mean, imagine if you had a pastor who was just gobbled up by all this and his life just came apart and was incapacitated, not able to lead or guide, direct, 
let alone care or reach out to you or devise a strategy in faith, trusting God and bringing encouragement, nourishing his own soul, feeding upon God's Word. What a mess we'd all be. Uh, We can be very grateful to Keith and to all your leaders. His sermons have been characterized by great compassion and love, but wisdom and appropriate exhortation. He's provided leadership in the midst of chaos and asked God for wisdom, which the Lord is continuing to progressively give. You know, I can tell you this based upon whatever, some experience, you will look back and say, oh, the wisdom of God. Oh, the majesty of God. Oh, the greatness and the goodness of God. Oh, the sovereignty of God. There will be a day where with sight, probably for many of you, you'll look back. But right now, you really are living by faith. And I'll tell you what... uh, When I talked to Keith a few days after Katrina hit, there was no question the greatest thing that weighed upon his heart was your well-being, your physical well-being. I remember him saying, as best I know, nobody has perished. I think everybody is alive, but I'm not sure. But he has labored and prayed for your spiritual well-being, the well-being of your soul. And carried you in your heart. Last night, Gina said to me at dinner, the three of us together, Brent? Could you please encourage Keith to take a little vacation? (laughs) So darn tootin' I can. Uh, The last thing this man wants to do is leave any time in the near future to go vacation. But how many of you think that might be a good idea for him? How many of you would be upset if he didn't do that? (laughs) I know something about Keith, and he has a wonderfully informed conscience. But it's just very difficult for him to pull away in the midst of still all that is before you. So I'm not going to ask him to violate his conscience, and I'm not going to tell him he needs to pull out this weekend. Uh, Because I can't begin to comprehend everything that is still yet before you. But uh, I do pray and I have encouraged them to take some time away. So, thank you, my dear friend. This is just one of the finest pastors you will ever, ever be privileged to have.
Well, thank you for allowing us as sovereign grace to serve you in the small way that we have. I know all the teams that have been down here have just counted it an extraordinary honor and privilege to serve you. And by grace, I'm so grateful for the servants that fill our churches. We just have one aspiration, and that is to serve the Lord and see His name glorified. So thank you for allowing them to come to serve and to help you. Thank you for allowing us to, in a small way, assist you in terms of benevolence. There's nothing we'd rather do. Thank you very much. Well, would you turn your Bibles, please, to Second Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. I would like to speak to you on the subject this morning of sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. I think if you were to study the overall teaching of the Scriptures, there are probably two main things that stand out as God's desire for us as individuals. One would be that we learn to walk in humility, and the second would be that we learn to live by grace. You see, apart from Christ and the miracle of regeneration, we really know nothing about humility at all. We are independent, self-reliant, and self-sufficient. And as a result, we know nothing of grace. We've been taught to bring ourselves up, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. God helps those who help themselves. And yet the Scripture says no. I mean, such an individual God is opposed to. And so, He desires us to live by grace. He, He... desires us to live as recipients. To abide in Christ means to exchange our weakness for His strength. That's the essence of the Christian life, a divine exchange. Our sinfulness for His holiness. Our weakness for His strength. And the thing that is amazing to me is God in His wisdom knows how to work these things into our lives. Walking in humility and living by grace. And there are times when he uses suffering to accomplish that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we read about this famous occasion of Paul's thorn in the flesh. And having been caught up to paradise or to the third heavens, And they're receiving such extraordinarily great revelation that he was not even allowed to tell people about it. Indeed, as we read through this text, we'll see that it was 14 years previous to the writing of the book of 2 Corinthians that Paul had had this experience. He didn't even know if he was in his body or out of his body. And he recounts this experience with such modesty 
that at points, a superficial reading, you say, now is Paul talking about himself or talking about someone else? And he's couching his terms and he's presenting this recollection in a way that is ever so humble. And a lot of times individuals come to this text and they're trying to figure out what was the form. I mean, that's the ultimate concern. Well, the history of the Christian church for thousands of years now, individuals have been trying to figure out what the form is. We have no answer. And it's good that we don't. Because thorns come in many sizes and many shapes. And if we knew that it was malaria, or gout, or his eyesight was going bad, then we'd say, well, that was his thorn. I can't really apply that to my life because I've never had malaria. And so this text, so it's the story of Paul and how he lived his life, walking in humility and receiving God's grace, It's a classic text to help us. And so let's read verses 1 through 10. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf... I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking, excuse me, I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being too elated or self-exalting, by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. O Lord, we thank You for Your holy Word. But we thank You that these recorded words are divine Scripture. And we thank You, Lord, that this is the ordained time that we learn from Your servant Paul and that which You have written in this text. Lord, I pray that You'd help me to articulate and to communicate with grace and anointing the meaning of this text in a way 
that encourages my brothers and my sisters and gives them eternal perspective. Thank you for your servant Paul. May we now learn from his life. In Jesus' name, amen. I would encourage you to take notes because I'd like you to have something to draw upon in the days to come. The first thing that we see in this text is that there was an imminent danger. There was a great danger to Paul that Paul became aware of in this text. What was this great danger? It was the danger of pride. Paul was in great danger of becoming self-exalting and prideful. And that was due to the fact that he had had this experience that no other man probably in the history of the Christian church had ever had. He received not only revelation, but surpassingly great revelations. He was called up to the third heavens, beyond our atmosphere, and outside of our universe, into that which is God's domain, where quite Christ dwells, the third heavens, into paradise itself. He went there. He doesn't know if he went in spirit or in body and spirit, but he went there. And there Christ himself instructed him and taught him things and revealed things to him that he was never in this life ever permitted to communicate. They were so profound. That proved an extraordinary temptation for Paul. You see, whenever God does something wonderful in our lives or uses us in a powerful way, there comes with that the temptation of pride. It was Spurgeon who said, among the flowers of gratitude will grow the hemlock of pride. And what Spurgeon meant with that is, in the midst of God's activity in our life for which we give Him thanks, we can so easily turn it around into a success story about ourselves. Imagine if you had this kind of insight. Man, I'd show up on Sunday morning and I'd be telling you all about it. I couldn't wait to tell you what God showed me and tell you about my out-of-body experience and that Christ chose me to be in His holy heaven and to hear Him. He didn't choose you. I probably would have made that emphatically clear. I mean, you know, and that was the great temptation. Great temptation for Paul. See, so often, even when God exalts us, it can, unless we are not careful, quickly degenerate into self-exaltation. And that's what Paul understood. What do we draw from this? Well, what we draw from this is pride is a very great enemy for all of us. Pride is my greatest enemy. There is no question about it. And pride has many, many tentacles that seeks to strangle us. Pride will destroy us. And yet, what a great blessing that God helps us in dealing with our pride. I mean, just think, be it spiritual knowledge or expertise in your field, when we know something that others don't, there's that temptation to, to elevate ourselves, to, to think ourselves superior. 
No more Bible verses. We've got a bigger library or whatever it is. And we can so often flaunt that type of knowledge even in our covenant group. And that's what Paul was experiencing. You see, Paul could have very easily impressed folks. He says in the text, his actually greatest concern is that people don't think more highly of himself than they ought. He's concerned that people think too highly of him. He's not concerned at all that people think too little of him. We consume our days, in a sense, with the concern that people don't think highly enough of us. Paul's concern was, oh, I've got to lower people's estimation of me. And yet he's in this awkward position where he's fighting for the soul of the Corinthian church. False apostles are there undermining him claiming he really doesn't have much to say. And Paul is in this terribly awkward position where for the sake of the well-being of the church and his apostolic relationship, he's fighting for them. And he introduces this type of thing. The previous chapter is about the catalog of all his sufferings. And he only shares these things not to draw attention to himself, but to underscore the legitimacy of his apostolic ministry so as to preserve the Corinthian church, from false apostles. You see, we love to impress people. And yet it's our duty, isn't it, to keep our check, our pride in check. Otherwise, we rob God of His glory. So what is the danger? The danger is pride. What is my danger? Pride. What is your danger? Pride. What happens then? God is concerned about our pride and wants us to walk in humility. How can He prevent us from becoming so self-exalting and so self-sufficient? Well, for Paul, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. The danger was pride. The preventative was a thorn. How can God prevent or keep Paul from pride? By sending him a thorn. What is amazing is it says, There was given me a thorn in the flesh. Think about that phrase. There was given me a thorn. In the flesh. Who gave it? God gave it. God gave it. And this is what's so important. Paul considered his affliction, his trial, his thorn as a gift from God. Now at first, Paul didn't see it that way. But he came to see it that way afterwards. He came to see that pride was a very great danger and that actually this thorn, though not at all desirable, nevertheless had been given to him from the Lord and was actually an expression of God's grace. That is where God is sovereignly, in His goodness and in His wisdom, in charge of every thorn 
He allows to come into our lives. You have experienced a great thorn. Ah, but one of the wonderful purposes of God is to remind you of your need of Him. You see, oftentimes, the Lord does protect us from so much trouble and so much suffering. Paul was a charismatic. Paul believed in the supernatural intervention of God. He had seen the miraculous deliverance of God in so many ways. And so, as I think would be keeping with Paul's theology, he prays three times in this text, Lord, remove this thorn from me. Remove this thorn from me. Remove this thorn from me. And God is oh so pleased, oh so many times, to remove the thorn from us. And we should pray, like Paul, for the removal of thorns. And we must always remember that there are oh so many thorns that could be stuck in our side that God has protected us from. Our lives could be far, far, far worse than they are. And there's so much that only in eternity will we look back on and see God protected us from. And so in the wisdom of God and the sovereignty of God, so often He'll protect us from things. Or as He allows us to experience things, He'll deliver us out of things. Or as we're approaching things, He'll take us around things. But at times, in the wisdom of God, as in this case, He'll take us through it. Not abandoning us. Never allowing those thorns to separate us from Him. It's the furthest thing from His plan or His purpose. But to actually encounter us and engage us in a way that we would otherwise never know the Lord. There are two dear friends back in Charlotte who some years ago got a call from the state police and discovered that their 17-year-old daughter, real sweet gal named Spicer, had been on her way to work, new driver, inexperienced. She got off the edge of the road, and as she went to get the car back on the road, it jerked. She crossed the center line. There's another car coming, broadsided her, flipped the car. It blew up into flames and fire, and she was probably killed upon impact but then totally cremated. I remember Bob Coughlin coming over to my house telling me about it, and we made our way down to Charlie and Luann's home. Luann, the mother, was at the beach. She was down there with a number of her sisters in Christ, having a great time of fellowship together. And I remember it was Charlie, her husband, Bob Coughlin, and myself, and the state police. I remember Luann coming into the drive, totally unaware of anything that had happened. I remember Charlie going over and informing her. 
Put Charlie out. And Luann wrote me about their whole experience. And Charlie said our lives seemed to be smoothly sailing along. But God had greater desires for us than all these things, as wonderful as they are. He wanted us for himself. He wanted us to know him better than we had ever known him before. And through this experience, which I will weave in and out of this message, they encounter God in a way that they never ever previously had. See, God has a plan. Oh, what consolation the sovereignty of God is. God has a plan. He has a purpose. God is in complete control of every aspect of my life and the entirety of creation, both the good and the bad, including our individual lives. And He really is working all things together for our good. Spurgeon said, So your trials and troubles and your infirmities are gifts to you, O believers, and you must regard them as such. Luann, the dear mother, wrote me and said, So dear brothers and sisters, you need not fear the future. God can be trusted. He is good and watches over our lives tenderly and compassionately. Never fear. He will rush to you in your time of need. You see, this thorn that Paul had was significant. I believe it says in the ESV that it harassed him. Other translators translate a bit more strongly, and I think properly so, tormented him. He was tormented by this. And actually, the literal Greek word behind this means to come to blow, or to throw punches at, or to, to hit. And so whatever this thorn was, it was just constantly as though Paul was being beaten, tormented, buffeted. And that was a part of God's sovereign plan. Paul never tells us exactly what it is. And amazingly, in the sovereignty of God, this thorn is tied up in the activity of even Satan himself. It says a representative or a messenger of Satan. How extraordinary that God uses even the devil to fulfill his will and purposes for our lives. Like Job, this much and no more. Like Peter, Satan had to come and ask permission. Christ granted the permission, and only so much, and for a divine and holy reason. So what is extraordinary about the Bible is that so often, even as it pertains to evil, God's intention and motivation for Paul was good, even though Satan's intention and motivation were evil. And oh, how often that's the way it is. We have a dear gal out in our church in Denver named Cassie. She was in high school at Columbine when that awful day occurred, and she was one of those who sought to flee, but as she sought to flee outside the ground, she was shot 
And one of the bullets lodged up against her spine and her lower back. Amazingly, as she laid on the ground and the shooters continued to fire at her, there was a little indentation in the ground. And so she was able to conceal herself enough so that the bullets were just rifling right over her head. She didn't know the Lord. As a result of that, she became a paraplegic. She was paralyzed from the waist down. Went through several surgeries. Uh, one Sunday that I was there, she brought the bullet in that they had just removed from her spine. And I remember her giving testimony, exulting in the grace and the glory of God. A God allowed her to be shot. Because guess what? One of the sisters in the church who had no relationship with her just began to make contact with some of the young people at Columbine and began to reach out to Cassie and take an interest in her. And over a period of months, taking her back and forth to the doctors and taking her back and forth to the therapist and helping her get in and out and maintaining her home. Didn't know her, just reached out to her, loved her, laid her life down for her. And the end result was she came to Christ. And now she praises God for that experience. Recently I received a letter from a friend who is a part of the church out in Phoenix. He and his wife had just had dinner with Johnny Erickson Tata. I would assume most everybody here knows who she is. She's a paraplegic from the neck down. Some 30 plus years ago, she jumped out of a raft in the Chesapeake Bay. Her head hit the bottom, snapped her spinal column. For the last 30 years, she's lived in extraordinary pain as a paraplegic. But she has experienced extraordinary grace. And this individual is writing to just alert CJ to how his book cross-centered life had so blessed Johnny. He writes to CJ, now the part you play in all this was when we talked about church and areas we could share of God's grace we have experienced over the years, Johnny was immediately aware of sovereign grace in yourself and it only added to the deepening of the conversation where I hope you, CJ, will be blessed is in the tears she shed as she talked about reading the cross-centered life during a recent bout with pneumonia. Without complaining, she talked of the nights in the hospital where her husband would hear her gasping for breath and sit her up so she could catch her breath. How they were both at the point of exhaustion and how God would provide in those times of desperation and how reading your book helped her to gain a godly perspective and press on. She was very sincere and I wish you had been there to hear firsthand. I receive uh, letters and email regularly from different people around the world. This one came from Yesupadam, the brother that we're working with in India. We covet your prayers. Rahesh 
our pastor who leads our Love and Care Ministries branch in the state of Madhra Pradesh, just called the ministry and told us his life and church are in danger. His wife received a phone call from the militant Hindu group threatening to burn his church and kill him and destroy his work. I received this letter from a brother we're working with in Nepal. Trust you're doing fine. We opened one more new church among the Butanese refugee camp. We are praying to open two more churches in India and one in the Bhutan. Kindly pray for this goal. Other churches are running well. Bible Institute is going well. Our God always remains very much faithful. We are very much thankful to God for all He has done for us. My son, Prabhat, is suffering from chest infection. He is not going to school yet due to sickness. We will send him from tomorrow. Maoist is still in the battlefield. Those are the terrorists that are killing Christians. The malice are still in the battlefield. In other words, this individual's life is in jeopardy. Monsoons already began. Last one whole month, I had a hard time. I did not have telephone. I was out of home twice for ministry. This year I had tonsil four times or some kind of serious strep condition. My son, Prabhat, is suffering from chest infection now. This is from the folks I'm working with in China. We've had great increase in pressure from the government, police, etc. lately. They interrogated one of our folks so intensely yesterday that she felt to the pressure and said much that she shouldn't have. This could have many serious repercussions. She's hardly been able to sleep or eat since. Please remember her. I received this just the other day from Yesupadam. Last week we had three days of heavy rain in our state and Vishakaputnam was worse affected. Parts of our city were under three feet of water. Homes and churches flooded many deaths. These rains bring much disease and fevers. Please pray for our children and staff. I appreciate also prayer for me. We traveled to a tribal area last week and I got a fever which continues. The doctor is concerned that it may be malaria or typhoid. Thorns. 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 And yet, God has a great purpose in mind. A great purpose in mind. The immediate effect of these thorns upon Paul was what? He prayed. Verse 8 says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Thorns drive us to our knees. Just think how prayerless we would be if it weren't for the God-ordained thorns that He brings into our lives. Paul resorted to prayer again and again. So often we are lax in prayer when things are going well, but we multiply prayers as trials increase. You see, this thorn produced a weakness in Paul and it caused Paul to be 
even more dependent. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament narrative. He was tested for 17 years before he was exalted in Pharaoh's court. 17 years. And it was Joseph who said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. What a saint. You see, for myself, I am in hot pursuit of a thornless life. I would never choose a thorn. I would never choose to be tormented. No, I covet a hassle-free life. But you know what? I'm also very unwise. Paul rejoiced in this thorn. It's always right, and please hear this, it's always right to pray, God, remove this hardship, remove this suffering. But there are times when God has ordained for an eternal purpose. And this is where we are essentially reformed with a significant charismatic dimension. We pray for the divine, powerful, miraculous intervention of God. But there are times where in the wisdom of God and the sovereignty of God and the majesty of God, He has ordained thorns for us that are very tormenting. And yet the end result is good and holy and gracious. And we would never choose these thorns for us. It's just so often not in our understanding of who God is. And yet God calls Paul here to embrace pain, realizing that God is up to something very good. And Paul, thankfully, is letting it have its full effect in his life. See, here in this case, Paul's prayer is answered. Is this not answered the way he thought it would be? But he does get an answer. But it's not, in this case, in keeping with what he thought. And so we see that the immediate result was prayer. How about for you? You feel more desperate than ever? You feel weaker than ever? feel more tempted to anxiety and fear than ever. Every day you wake up, you encounter new thorns. Well, God is calling you to prayer. And point B, the other effect in the immediate situation with Paul was he got a promise. He got a promise. The thorn wasn't removed, but he received a promise. Verse 9, but he said to me, but Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. As he continued to pray, he did receive an answer. And the answer was this, not the removal of the thorn but for the grace, the power, the ability, the divine enablement to persevere through these circumstances. You see, so often we try and change and avoid all the nasty circumstances of our lives. And 
In so doing, I'm not saying that we are to just embrace misery and not seek to improve our condition. But there are times where we're in situations where God has ordained difficulty. It can be sleepless nights for a mother who has sick children or infants. It can be discovering your child is severely retarded. It could be chronic and acute arthritis. It could be going through menopause. It could be a host of things. But you see, in the midst of this, God says, Paul, here's my problem. Grace, in the form of power and strength, will be there in abundance. See, the greatest miracle is what God does in our hearts, isn't it? Can you relate to this next little statement? Before trials, we can think we're pretty good Christians. And yet, we don't realize how selfish and comfortable we really are. And that's where God in His wisdom is more concerned about our character than He is our comfort. Spurgeon said, The way to stronger faith, listen so carefully to one of the wisest men who's lived, the way to stronger faith usually lies along the rough pathway of sorrow. I am afraid that all the grace that I have gotten out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might also might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. It is the best book in a minister's library. God's grace is with us in the midst of suffering. His grace is sufficient. His grace is miraculous. His grace enables us to endure and to persevere in circumstances that would otherwise eat us up and spit us out. That is what the Christian life is about. Thorns make us weak. They strip us of our self-sufficiency. And we are all weak, whether or not we realize it. And so we must allow the thorns to have their intended effect. Because a better solution, in Paul's case, was not to remove the thorn but rather to allow God's divine power to be shown in the midst of these circumstances. Charlie Wallace, the father of that young lady who was killed in a car wreck, said, We cannot praise God enough for how He has comforted us with His Word, His presence, and His holy people. His wife, Luann, said, It is hard to say in words what His presence does. I often tell people now that when the helplessness, despair, intense pain, and sorrow surface, 
during those days, his love would rush in like a magnet. How true. I'll get this quote to Keith because it's one for really to memorize. It's from John Piper. As he's defining sustaining grace, he says, not grace to bar what is not bliss, nor flight from all distress, but this, the grace that orders our trouble and pain and then in the darkness is there to sustain. You see, I want a hassle-free life. I want a problem-free life. I don't want adversity or tragedy. And yet, God can have a great purpose in mind. So the immediate result was that Paul prayed. And the immediate result was the assurance of grace. But there are also a permanent result. There are going to be permanent results for you. You're going to look back ten years from now, and this is going to be a wonderful crossroads in your life. And there are going to be permanent results that will occur as a result. And you'll see that God's wisdom will be vindicated in your life. The permanent result is going to be humility. You see, in the present, Paul received grace and it caused him to pray more. But permanently, these surpassing great revelations, Paul never told any about for, anybody about for 14 years. This is the first occasion where he brings those out. God worked in Paul an extraordinary humility. He became silent about these things. They had to be dragged out of him. The other thing that was transformed permanently was Paul's perspective. Wow. He gained an eternal perspective. And that's why he says in verse 9, and following once again, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, I am strong. He delights in. He delights in. Is he crazy or what? He delights in these things. He delights in these things. He rejoices in these things. I will all the more boast ever so gladly about my weakness that is revealed to me in these times of infirmity, reproaches, great needs, hardships, persecutions, distresses, distresses, and difficulties. I will rejoice most gladly. He says, I will be happy about these things. You see, until you go through this and experience the sustaining grace of God, you can't conceive that this is possible. Liz Emerson, a dear friend of ours, the wife of a senior pastor in Richmond, had very serious breast cancer. And she's told us, I would not trade that experience for anything else. It is the best thing that ever happened in my life. Another gal there in the church in Charlotte was discovered with ovarian cancer. Quote, she says, no one would believe what I have experienced. 
It really is true. I have never known the presence of God like this. You see, Paul says, I delight, I delight, I delight. He doesn't say, I renounce, I bind, and I rebuke. There's some old charismatic theology, huh? He says, I delight. Whoa! I delight. Yes, I delight. And for Paul, in this case, the joy did not come because the trial was over. No, the joy came in the midst of the trial. One last quote from Luann. She said, we can honestly say we thank God for taking Spicer when he did. We now live life with a more eternal perspective. Spicer is a tangible reminder of the bigger picture. Do you feel like you have a bigger picture? Boy, you do. I mean, in the natural, I would never wish for anybody to go through what you've gone through. And yet, on the other hand, I know you are learning lessons I've never learned. I know you can be encountering God in a way that I haven't. I know that there are lessons that you will learn that will alter the remainder of your days. When I tried to get through to Keith around, I don't know, September 4th or 5th, the only cell phone I could get through to was Pete's. I guess that was your experience too. And as I talked to Pete, what was amazing was he was rejoicing in the midst of this tribulation. He was delighting in these circumstances. Later, he and his wife wrote me and said, uh, Katrina caught us off guard. Not God. I, for one, am glad for the opportunity to redo, restart our lives. He's shaken the futile things and placed our focus on Him completely. Oh, how wonderful that is. My eyes are ever seeking His undeserved acts of kindness towards us. And then she thanks us. Ah. To know such people and to call them your friends. I'd like us to close by number one, allowing you to have the opportunity to just pray for a few moments about those things that are the greatest thorns in your life. As I said earlier, we're to pray about our thorns. And God will divinely intervene so often. So we're going to do more than that as we end. But I want you to pray about the most difficult circumstances that you face. 
and say, Oh God, be merciful to me. Oh God, intervene. Oh God, remove this thorn. Oh God, have compassion upon me. I want you to pray. And then as you just pray privately, then I think there's more the Lord wants to do. But I want you to do that. Go before the throne of grace. Now I'd like to pray for you. Lord, we thank you for those thorns right now that you are removing. Lord, we thank you for the clear paths that you're going to make for us.
We thank you for your kindly intervention. But Lord, we also thank you for the thorns that remain. Lord, we're grateful we're not the masters of our own lives because we just would not know how to choose. But you and your love and greatness have chose for us. And so, Lord, I do pray that your sustaining grace and your assuring promise that your power will be made fully complete in weakness that indeed sustaining grace will be there that the testimony of every person will be oh Lord your mercies are new every morning and oh Lord I reflect back in the evening upon your faithfulness mercy in the morning and faithfulness at night. The Lord would say to those who've lost loved ones, let my love and my nearness and my presence fill your heart. For I see your despair. I see your grief. I know your loneliness. And for some, you think, how can life continue? I say to you, my nearness will sustain you. My love will fill you. My compassions shall follow you. For what I have taken, I will restore to you in ways you do not see. For I am your God and I am your Father. Lord, I pray for those whose hearts are full of fear and anxiety are characterized by sleeplessness. But Lord, I pray that your grace would fill them in such a way that, Lord, they would have faith and hope for the future. That their hearts might be strengthened by grace to trust and to believe. The Lord... You are the God that provides. And Lord, we will not live by sight. We have no idea how things will resolve themselves. Lord, we confess 
And we are helpless and apart from you, hopeless. Lord, we have no resources. Lord, we've been reduced to so little. But yet, Lord, I pray that these dear brothers and sisters would look to you and trust you. And the Lord would say he looks down upon you and with joy finds gladness as you lay hold of him. And as you draw near to him, you brought pleasure to him. And for those who would say, Oh, I have sinned greatly. I have failed like Peter. I failed like Job. The Lord would say, Rejoice, for your sins are forgiven. And though I have allowed Satan to sift you, nevertheless you shall turn around and you shall strengthen your brethren. For my grace is sufficient to you. For I have helped you to see your weakness and frailty. But I am restoring you this morning to strength and I am calling you to lay hold of me. For I will be a rock and a fortress to you. So turn from all unbelief and receive my grace. To the pastors and the leaders, the Lord would say, you've asked for wisdom, I shall give it. You do not know the end of your ways. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And indeed, I have created and I am using these circumstances to direct you and to guide you, but in ways you cannot understand right now. But be assured, I'm taking you from glory to glory. And wisdom is coming. Keith, the Lord would uh, just say, that a great reward awaits you. And there will be a day in eternity when the chief shepherd commends and rewards and communicates His divine pleasure in person.
Matt, I don't know if you can pull this off, but if the band could join us, I'd like us to just end with one song that will allow us to convey to the Lord that we delight in our distresses and our difficulties and in our hardships knowing that He is good He is wise and He is sovereign let us stand together let us exalt in the one who rules the universe and knows every hair on our head who's ordered every circumstance of our lives and is powerfully using it let us declare to him Lord we're grateful for thorns we're grateful for weakness we're grateful for difficulties but Lord your promise of power your assurance of grace has been is and ever shall be our experience let's worship the God who is near the God who is present the God who is intervening in our lives
us.